Well, hey, good morning and welcome uh, as we jump into this and we, um, this is your favorite, this is what everybody looked forward to, right? You came for the message, zit. Ben's preparing, he's fanning himself as soon as I got up here, he's like, here we go. Um, all right, so here's the thing, man, we could talk about the resurrection for hours. Everybody's like, let's not do that. Um, because there's a lot of stuff we have planned for today. But I, I want to start with this, um, just an encouragement. Uh, let, let's, just, let's just read the room for a moment. Okay, there's different types of people that are in this room right now. And, and uh, you can decide which one you are, but let's just get it out on the open. Okay, first we have believers. We have people that are here that 100% are like, I know Jesus rose from the dead. I am 100% sold out for this. I love him. He has my life. Like everything surrounds Jesus. Okay. That's some of us. And then there's some of us that you might classify, maybe we're seekers, right? Like, like you've heard it. And, and a large part of you wants to believe it, but there's sometimes where you just find yourself in this back and forth, like, I don't know, you know, it sounds wonderful and awesome and amazing, um, but I'm just not 100% sold out with this. And, and so you're, you're open to it. You, you love the idea of it, but maybe you wouldn't just call yourself a sold out 100%. I believe in the resurrection. You kind of go back and forth. Then let's just put it out there. There's some of you that probably are here and you don't want to be. And I, that's, that's cool. That's fine. Don't, I'm not saying it bad. You know, there's potentially somebody that's here right now. It's like, I am only here. So mom, don't get mad at me. <laughs> right? It's okay. Just, it's okay. Nobody's calling you out. Glad you're here. We're glad everybody's here. But let's just be honest about it. Some of us are like, this is a bunch of garbage. I don't buy any of it. I don't want to be here. You know, I'm only here to appease somebody or, you know, I just here because they're going to do an Easter egg hunt. My kid likes to be here and I want them to go get some eggs. It's okay. Okay. I just want us to start with that. And again, we're glad that everybody is here. But as we talk through the resurrection this morning, I kind of want to give you insight into my, you know, my own journey with this. I've talked about it before. Those of you that come to church here, I, I was born into the church. I grew up in the church. This marks my 43rd Easter. I have never missed worship. I've never missed a Sunday morning for Easter. This marks the 43rd. And in fact, I even went to some of those early morning rising ones, right? Who thought that up? I don't know. But they'd always get you there because they'd say breakfast is after. <laughs> but here's the thing. Just because I grew up in the church did not mean that I had this perfect faith that said I totally believe in this. In fact, there was a large portion of my life where even though I grew up in the church and even though the resurrection was something that was taught to me from the moment I can remember, there was a season in my life where I'm like, I don't buy this. I, I don't want to buy this. I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to agree with this. And, and that's a whole other story and the fact of God's grace and his goodness and how he kept, you know, pulling me. But see, I had to have my own journey to come to terms with the resurrection. See, one of the issues is, 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 is those of you that maybe are skeptical of this. 
or some of you that are in that seeker mode, you feel like to be able to believe in the resurrection, you have to check out your brain. Like, like you have to let go of any intellectual thought and just accept this, this idea of Jesus rising from the dead. And you're just not that kind of person. And, and see, that's kind of the same way I am. I'm very skepti- skeptical. I'm one of those people that you tell me I need to do something, you got to give me a reason why. Prove it to me. Prove it. And that's what I grew up in was this idea of just taking it that Jesus rose from the grave. And I was the one that said, prove it. So I went on my own journey of trying to figure out, and do I believe or buy into this? Now, as we start out, whether you're a skeptic or a believer this morning, you have to understand that there are three things that every historical scholar agrees with when it comes to Jesus. It doesn't matter if they are an atheist or a Christian. It doesn't matter if they believe in the resurrection or they don't. There are three things that every scholar agrees with when they look at the historical evidence of Jesus. These are the three. Jesus lived. He was crucified by the Romans. And his followers truly believed that he was resurrected. Even if a person is completely against Christianity, historical scholars all agree on these three things. There was a man named Jesus that lived. And he taught and he prophesied and he did these things and there's miracles attached to his life. And this Jesus was taken and crucified by the Romans on a cross. And something happened. Even people that are adamantly against Christianity cannot help but admit something happened. Now they attempt to dismiss it, but they can't deny that something happened. So this morning, as we start out, I want to give you uh, just three uh, evidences that really helped me in my faith to really come to the place of saying, and there's a whole bunch that we could go over with this. There's so much evidence that we can look at, but I like crime dramas. I like mysteries. I like, show me the evidence. Show me where it's pointing. Prove it to me. I'm not just going to take it at face value. Prove it. And I'm going to give you the top three evidences that made me stop and say, you know what? I have to admit there's something here. I have to admit I can't dismiss this. There's evidence here. And that's where we're going to start is just to walk through three of those real quick and then what they mean. The first evidence is this, just the empty tomb is evidence number one. Just the fact that there was an empty tomb. Now, some of us might be saying that doesn't prove anything, but let's walk through this for a moment. All of the events of Jesus' death and resurrection all centered around one place, and that was Jerusalem. Everything centered around Jerusalem. The, the issue is, is I don't think we allow ourselves to see this the way it was. This was a citywide thing. Everybody knew what was going on. The entire city was involved in everything that went on. Right? Everyone knew about Jesus. Everybody witnessed Jesus. Everybody heard Jesus or heard about Jesus. Everybody was talking about Jesus. This wasn't just a few people in the town that knew what was happening. This wasn't just a few people that were at the crucifixion. You know, like a handful of people were at the crucifixion. This was the entire city was involved with what was going on. Now picture this. Let's kind of walk through some of the things that happened. Jerusalem is ground zero for everything, right? 
The triumphal entry happened in Jerusalem. This was a week before his crucifixion. Jesus is coming into the city. This wasn't just 20 or 30 people out watching Jesus come into the city. This was the entire city was there celebrating and watching Jesus come into the city. The way to kind of picture this is, is picture back when you see like uh, um, the parades that would happen. Um, I remember, you know, seeing the, the old black and white when after the war ended and there was parades in New York City and you had this entire, uh, the entire avenue filled with people and celebration and shouting and singing. That's what the triumphal entry would have been like. Thousands of people were watching this. Then Jesus spends a week in Jerusalem preaching and teaching and making his claims. Everybody's hearing him do it. He's claiming that he is going to be put to death. He's claiming his resurrection. He's teaching all of these truths. People hear it. In fact, the first thing Jesus does when he comes into the city after the triumphal entry is he goes to the temple and he kicks everybody out of the temple. He clears the temple. This would have been big news. Huge news. Everybody knew what was going on. Not only that, Jesus is arrested here. He's put on trial here. He's convicted here. All of this is still happening in Jerusalem. He's publicly beaten. He's led through the city. Again, we picture Jesus walking through the city. At least I did when I was younger. You picture him just carrying the cross, but picture that the entire streets are lined with people watching this. This was a citywide event. The city probably shut down while all of this was going on because everybody wanted to see this big ordeal that was happening because here's the man that claimed to be the Messiah, to be the king of the Jews, who claimed to be the son of God, and now he's being led through the city. And we kind of sit here like, oh, that probably wasn't the case. Yes, it is. Just the other day, we are human. We can't help but run after whatever's happening. Just the other day, I'm driving. Like a half a mile down the road, my daughter can see flashing lights. Ooh, police, go drive down there. <laughs> right? Like we can't help it. If there is something going on, we go find out what's going on. So again, there was nobody that was not paying attention to what was happening. And then he's crucified with everybody watching. But then history tells us some amazing things happened when he was crucified. While he was on the cross, the Bible tells us that darkness fell upon the whole land for three hours. You you can't tell me that people didn't notice that, right? And this wasn't like early evening. This is in the middle of the day. Darkness falls upon the land while Jesus is being crucified. This would have been known. The Bible tells us that when he dies, the moment that he dies, an earthquake happens and it actually splits open rocks because it's so violent. You can't tell me people didn't know what was going on. The Bible tells us that also in the temple, now remember the temple is the center point of the city. It's the most important place in the city. The temple had a curtain in it. This curtain was a monstrosity. It was massive because the curtain is what separated the place where God's presence was from Humanity, there was this curtain that was a barrier between God and people. And the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was literally torn in two. Not by human hands, by the very hands of God. You can't tell me people didn't know what was going on. This is the kicker. The Bible actually tells us that when um, Jesus died and the earthquake happened, 
it actually split open tombs and holy people actually rose from the dead. And the Bible says that these holy people that rose from the dead after Jesus died walked into the city and showed themselves. Now picture that for a moment. You had just buried somebody. I don't know how long they were down. A day, a week, a month. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All it says is that family members were coming back home and announcing that something had happened. People knew what was going on. This is all happening in Jerusalem. Then he's entombed. He's put in the tomb. And then the resurrection happens. Now here's the thing. A lot of people like to look at the resurrection and say, well, it's a lie. They made it up. You know, they were just, they were just making up this thing to, to, to make people believe and all that. Here's the thing. I know this without a doubt. If I'm going to lie about something, I'm going to go someplace where nobody knows what just actually took place. I'm not going to start announcing a resurrection in the very city where all of this stuff just happened. The last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to announce a resurrection in a place where anybody that wants to can walk just a few minutes and see the empty tomb. Man, I'm going to go someplace where nobody knows nothing. And I'm going to start saying some weird stuff. Sky went dark. No, it didn't. You weren't there. You don't know. There's an earthquake. My uncle came back for dinner. <laughs> no, he didn't. You weren't there. You don't know. <laughs> See, I'm going to tell this lie. I'm going to tell this fib. I'm going to make this myth. I'm not going to say it to people that were there for every event that led up to the resurrection. Because if it wasn't true, there were so many ways that you could show that I was lying. All the religious leaders had to do, when the, when the apostles came out and said, he's risen, all they had to do is say, no, he didn't. There's the body. That, there he is right there. That, that's, is, there were so many ways that they could discredit it, but the disciples decided that we were going to preach the resurrection in the very place where the tomb was setting. It, it's amazing to me. All they had to do was go and say, Jesus rose from the dead. No, he didn't. Go check out the tomb. It's over there. It's right there. Go, go look. It's empty. Jesus rose from the dead. No, he didn't. Cool. Hey, come, come talk to my uncle, man. He was dead for a while. Come, come talk to him. Right? Jesus rose from the grave. Hey, did you know the curtain got ripped in two? Yeah, that happened when Jesus died. Right? You don't make up something in the middle of where everybody knows what was happening. See, the beautiful thing about the message of the resurrection is it couldn't be stopped, even when they tried to stop it. The Romans tried to stop it. The religious leaders tried to stop it. Other people that just didn't want to believe tried to stop it, and they couldn't stop it. And it was birthed from the very place where the tomb was setting. The second thing that is a, a huge uh, evidence to me on the resurrection is that women are the first witnesses. I tried to bring this up at staff meeting, and I obviously didn't say it right because, like, Shauna thought I was dissing women. I'm like, I'm not dissing women. I'm just telling you what they said. So bear with me. This isn't my words. I'm just telling you. Every account of the resurrection, every single one of them that is recorded, the first witnesses are women. Okay? That's extremely important. The first witnesses are women to the resurrection. The first people that come and say he has risen are women. I'm going to quote this for you. This is a quote. 
of how the world saw women at that time. Women were nearly non-existent in the public realm. Without any public right and excluded from actual citizenship, they were placed at the same level as a slave or a child or even a criminal. That's how society in this place at this time saw women. Women didn't have the possibility to even go to court on their own or even to testify for a public act. So hear that. Women couldn't even go and give testimony that would be received and trusted. If a woman wanted to go to court during this time, they actually had to, have, have, they had to get a man to go do it for them. Because women's word was not accepted. It wasn't able to be entered in as an acceptable witness to anything. In fact, this is the exact language of that time. The woman is incapable of being a witness where witnesses are required. That's the actual standard. Now, here's the thing. If I was wanting my claims to be taken seriously in that day, the last thing that I would choose to do is pick women to be the first witnesses unless that's what actually happened. Like if I'm making this stuff up, if I'm making a story that I want people to believe in, the last thing I'm going to do is say, you know what, guys? We should make it a bunch of women that went to the tomb because that's going to make people pay attention. In fact, it's the very opposite. That's the thing that's going to make people not pay attention. But see, they were just telling us what happened. They were just saying, this are, these are the facts. So unless you were just proclaiming the truth, you're, you, know, you wouldn't do it that way. The other thing, and this is kind of with the women, you know, because I'm thinking about this, you think about men and just kind of, you know, the arrogance sometimes with men and, and all that. Also, if I was making up this story about the resurrection, if I was the one making all of this up, if I was writing these stories and, and we were just sitting around saying, how should it go? And let's make up this the way it should work. If I was making all of this up, if it was a lie in any way, shape or form, the last thing I would also do is include anything that makes me look bad. Man, I'm going to make me look good if I'm the one writing the story. And if you've never read the Bible, if you've never read the Gospels, man, those apostles sometimes look like idiots. You know, the last thing I would do is if I was Peter and we're making up this story, I'd say, you know what, guys? I want you to include in there, include in there that I deny him three times. Let's, let's put that in there. That would be awesome, right? Because that's going to make me look so good, Right? If I was John, the Apostle John, I would say, hey guys, I gotta go. This is a good one. This will make the story so cool. Uh, I'm picturing someday when they make the movie, okay? Like, make it that I run away and I abandon him and I do it so fast they rip my clothes off and I'm running off naked. You know? Like, you're not gonna do that. In, in fact, if you are an apostle, if you're a man that's making this story up, the last thing you're going to do is say, guys, let's make it look like we were a bunch of cowards hiding in a room, afraid, and we didn't believe, but it was a bunch of women that went to the tomb, and they found it and found out he was risen, but we still didn't believe him. Let's put that in there. And then Thomas gets up and he says, cool, let's also make it that I'm the doubter, right? 
because I just want to be known for the rest of history as doubting Thomas. That would just be amazing to me. You don't do that. If I was making up the story, I would have put myself as the first witness. I would have put myself as someone that didn't doubt but told everybody else, no, remember, he told us he was going to come back in three days. Remember, he, he taught this all the time. We know. And, and I definitely wouldn't have put that I abandoned him or I denied him. Unless I was just telling you the truth. And that's all they're doing is telling us the truth. Here's, here's the, uh, the third one, evidence that just, this is the main one for me. It's the confidence of the witnesses. Okay? So walk through the, this with me for a moment. Peter, the apostle Peter, the one that, that loved Jesus, that stuck up for Jesus. He's the one that looked at Jesus and tried to rebuke him. When Jesus said, I'm going to go and be crucified, I'm going to go put to death. Peter's the one that got in his face. Think about this. He got in Jesus' face and he says, no, you're not. I won't allow it. This is Peter. Peter's the one that took a sword and he cut off the ear of, of the servant that when they came to arrest him, Peter's ready to fight. Peter's ready to stand up for Jesus. But just a few short hours later, Peter, when Jesus is arrested and Jesus is on trial, Peter becomes afraid of a servant girl and denies even knowing Jesus. This man that was so full of Courage is now cowering and he's afraid of a servant girl because he knows what's about to happen and he sees that everything's falling apart and he denies Jesus. And then after Jesus is put to death, he's cowering in a room with everybody else and he's afraid and he's hopeless and he has no idea what's going on and he feels like his entire life is just falling apart. But yet after the resurrection, Peter goes from being a man full of fear to standing up in the middle of Jerusalem and announcing for the very first time, Jesus is risen. And Peter has so much faith and confidence in the resurrection of Jesus that this man ends up being martyred by being crucified. But not just crucified, the man requests when they're getting ready to crucify him, he requests, he says, no, 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 crucify me upside down because I do not deserve to die the same way my Lord did. This is historical fact. A man that was hiding in fear lives his life to the point of saying, crucify me upside down because I do not deserve to die in the same way that he did. I mentioned Thomas. Here was doubting Thomas that after the other apostles believed in the resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. And he says, I don't believe it until I see his hands, until I see his side, until I touch him. I will not believe in the resurrection. Here he is known as doubting Thomas. Thomas was put to death in India, preaching the resurrection by having multiple spears shoved through his body. James, the brother of Jesus, this is actually one of Jesus' other brothers. The, the Gospel of John tells us that his own brothers didn't believe Jesus. The Bible actually says it, that his own brothers thought he was crazy. James being one of them. History tells us that James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James was taken to the pinnacle of the temple and he was thrown off of it 
because he proclaimed the resurrection. And he didn't die from the fall. What he died from is when they circled him and they beat him to death with clubs. Paul, the Apostle Paul that wrote most of the New Testament. Paul is the number one person that I look at and say something obviously happened because you don't do this because of a lie. Paul was a religious leader. He was famous. He was respected. He probably had money. He he had everything he wanted. He pretty much controlled the city. The Bible tells us that when they were stoning Stephen, so Stephen was the first martyr for Jesus. When they were stoning Stephen, the Bible says that Paul, before he was renamed, his name was Saul, he's standing there watching this man be murdered, and he's giving approval over it. He's saying, good job, boys. Kill him. The Bible tells us that in history tells us, isn't just the Bible, history tells us that Paul was, he hated Christianity. His mission was to imprison anyone that was a Christian. He put to death anyone he could that was a Christian. And then he had a moment when he encountered the risen Jesus. And I'm not going to tell you, I'll let Paul tell you what that did. This is Paul's words. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having not a righteousness of my own, but that that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. You don't do that for a lie. History tells us that Paul was shipwrecked and spent time out in the open sea not knowing if he was going to live. Paul was beaten several times. Paul was stoned and left for dead. Paul gave up everything. His reputation, his financial security. He probably gave up his family, all of his friends. He gave up everything he had worked for his entire life because realized he was a religious leader. He had been working to be a religious leader from the moment he was a child. He gave it all up after he encountered the risen Jesus. You don't do that for a lie. You don't do that for something that was made up. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we can sit here and say, no, it had to be a lie. It was made up. It was a myth. Here's the thing. I have gone great lengths in my life at times, to try to live out some, a, a, a lie. We've all done it, right? You've lied. You have to go with it. You're running with it, you know. Then you have to tell another lie because you're going to get caught, and you just kind of keep running with that lie. Here's the thing. I have never told a lie yet, yet, that I'm going to go hungry over. That I'm going to let somebody beat me over. That I'm going to let somebody murder me over. The last thing I'm going to do for a lie is get crucified. And not just crucified. Hey, hey dude, turn me upside down. No, when we lie, and when we know we're lying, we do it because we're trying to benefit ourselves. We're trying to gain power. We're trying to gain more. We're trying to lie to benefit us. All of the early witnesses to the resurrection lived horrible, horrible, difficult lives. 
because they proclaimed the resurrection. And every single one of the apostles died a horrible death except for one. And the one that didn't die a horrible death, (laughs) he got thrown into a vat of boiling oil and survived. And then exiled to a horrible place because of his proclamations of the resurrection. You don't do that unless it's true. See, so even now, some of us might be hearing this and we're kind of asking ourselves, were these people crazy? Were they lying or whatever? Or is it possible? Here's the thing. Those that are maybe skeptical this morning, those that kind of go back and forth like, I don't know. Let me ask you the question. Is it possible based on the evidence that Jesus actually rose again? Because here's the thing. If Jesus rose again, it changes everything. And that's one of the reasons we wrestle so much with wanting to accept it. Because if we accept it, we know that it changes everything. Let's just understand for a moment some of the things that changes. If Jesus truly rose from the dead, if, tr- if he was truly resurrected, then that means that Jesus is truly the Son of God. See, there's a lot of us in this room that are probably like, I like Jesus. I mean, Jesus is cool. I like his teachings. I like it where he tells you to be nice to people. I like it where he tells you to give and, and help out people. I like all that. I like Jesus. He's a good teacher. But if he was resurrected, he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just some moral guy that we should try to live our lives like, kind of like him, but do whatever we want. If Jesus was truly resurrected, it changes everything because it means that he truly is the son of God. It means he is who he claimed to be. See, if I were to ask you here, what, if you believe Jesus is the son of God, and I say, what makes you believe that? You might say, well, his teachings make me believe that. His miracles make me believe that. The way he lived his life, that makes me believe that. Can I tell you that all of those things, while they do point to Jesus being the Son of God, the only thing that ultimately declares that Jesus truly is the Son of God is his resurrection. Because God did amazing things through other people. There are other people God used to teach amazing things. God used other people to to perform miracles. God used other people to be a prophet. He's used people all throughout history. But the only person that has ever been resurrected and has not died after again is Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus announces that he is truly the holy one that will never see decay. He is truly the anointed one that forgives the sins of the world. He is truly the exalted one who is the judge of the world. If he truly was resurrected, it changes everything. In fact, scripture tells us in Acts, when when Paul is preaching, Paul says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. God is telling us that resurrection is proof that Jesus is the judge of the world because he's the savior of the world. Jesus is not dead. This is what makes Christianity unique and different from any other religion. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Jesus is not dead. And that changes everything. The second thing it means 
the resurrection, he is truly the son of God, it also means that the cross was actually necessary. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Death is the proof, it's the evidence of sin, right? Every single one of us in this room, eventually we will die because we are born into a broken, fallen, sinful world. Death is evidence of sin. This is why it's so amazing that God decided to have his own son die a sinner's death to become sin for us, to take the full penalty of our wickedness and and our sin and put it on him on the cross, allowing him to go to the grave and then showing death that it had no hold on him and bringing him back out. See, the cross was necessary because, here's the deal, whether you want to believe it or not, every single one of us in this room are sinful, broken, messy, wicked. Every single person in this room, you have broken the law of God. You have sinned and rebelled against God, and you are objects of wrath. That's it, right? I'm an object of wrath. I deserve the penalty for my sin because I have rebelled against the holy God. But that holy God loves us so much that he said, I will take the punishment for your sin. I will take the full measure of wrath so that you don't have to. And to show you that your sins are forgiven, I'm going to bust out of this grave in three days. And I'm going to announce to all of creation that I won. See, the cross is necessary because the resurrection means nothing without the cross. And the cross means nothing without the resurrection. Jesus is the Son of God who became a sacrifice for my sin, for your sin, and then rose from the grave so that I could stand here today knowing that I am completely forgiven. The sad truth is, and I don't say this judgmentally because I've been there, when we choose to live in defiance of the resurrection, we don't have that hope. Because here's the last thing, as we bring this all together and we sum this all up, If Jesus is truly resurrected and he is the son of God and the cross is necessary, it means that a decision has to be made. And that's where it comes to us. A decision has to be made. Either we choose to embrace and believe and discover all that God has for us or we choose to deny and reject. This is the decision that has to be made. Either I choose to believe or I choose to deny. But can I tell you something amazing that I learned through my own personal experiences? When you choose to believe, everything changes. Everything changes. 
Because all of a sudden I am in a right relationship with the eternal God that loves me more than anything else to the point that he was willing to suffer and die so that I would not have to face eternal separation from him. But instead, I get to be embraced as a child of his. I have hope. I have purpose. I have excitement about the future. I'm not afraid when the world gets crazy because I'm not meant for this world. I'm meant for something better. I have a passion that nothing can extinguish. Am I perfect? No means. I'm not even close to it. But man, I have Jesus because I've encountered the risen King. I made my decision. It's the greatest decision, decision I've ever made. So as we prepare to close this morning, it's not that hard to make this decision. Skip ahead a little bit. The Bible simply says this. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as this. To choose to believe in the resurrection is to choose to announce, Jesus, you are Lord, meaning, man, this life is all yours. It's not mine anymore. It's all yours. You are Lord of my life. I will follow you. I will give myself to you. None of this is mine. It is all yours. And we do that by believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. To believe that Jesus was risen from the dead means that you believe he died for your sins. You, you believe that he took your punishment. You confess that you know your condition before God and you accept fully the joyful new life that he gives. Again, some of us might be sitting here and going, oh, this just sounds crazy to me. But go back to the evidence. Men and women for centuries have been willing to die horrible deaths for this risen king. Here's the question I have as we prepare to close. And I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and we're going to spend some time in worship together as we, we end. If you leave here today, this is all I ask you to think about. Whether you're, if you're a believer, man, I hope you're just excited, encouraged, and you just love. If you're seeking or you're kind of a skeptic, here's the question I have for you. This is simply it, the question. What if it is true? Right? Like, you could leave here today and just say, eh, whatever. That was fun church service. Let's get on to the, the rest of the stuff. Let's get to the meal. Let's get to the family stuff, which is all great. And I hope you have an amazing and wonderful day. But what if it is true? What if Jesus really is the Son of God? What if Jesus really did die for you on a cross so that you can be forgiven and redeemed and brought into eternity with him? What if it is true? All I ask is that you at least spend time asking him, is it true? Is it possible? And if you need to know more, ask questions. Right? Get a hold of me, even if I don't know you. Cards out on the table. Get a hold of Pastor Matt. Go to another church that can, you can learn. Ask questions. But ask yourself, is it possible this morning? As we 
close and we sing this song, I'm going to encourage you, if you are in a place today where you're saying, you know what, man, I believe, man, my heart is, it's like my, God is calling me right now. If anybody wants to know what that feels like, it's your, your chest, it just, it's like you just feel, so, it, you just can't, you can't shake it when God calls you. You can't shake it. You, you, you sit there like, this don't feel right. You know when God's calling you. And if God's calling you this morning, if he's telling you, if he's whispering like, no, it's true. It's true, and I'm calling you. I want to encourage you. All you got to do is confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that he died for you and he rose again. And just give him yourself. That's all you got to do. If you do that this morning, tell somebody, please, because you're not meant to do this alone. But, man, if he's calling you this morning, would you answer while we sing this last song together? Gracious God, as we spend this time in your presence and in worship, Lord, I, here's the thing. Lord, it's not my job. I can't convince a single person. That's, that's totally yours. Holy Spirit, that is you that calls us. So I pray that if we're here this morning, Lord, I pray that those that are believers, I pray that you're calling down upon us and just igniting in us a passion that my Jesus is victorious. Lord, I pray that every believer here this morning is excited that my Jesus has conquered the grave. My Jesus has conquered death. My Jesus has conquered my sin. My Jesus reigns. Lord, that we are so full of passion this morning. Lord, I pray for anyone that is still questioning and wondering, Lord. I pray you call upon them. I pray that it's so intense this morning that we cannot ignore it. That we can't help but ask the question, what if it's possible? What if it's possible that this really did happen the way that we're talking about? What if it, it did happen that this Jesus, the Son of God that claimed to be the Messiah, truly was? And that he is the only way of salvation. He is the only way because that's what sets him apart, Lord. That's what sets you apart. Is you are the only one that is victorious over the grave. Lord, at least make us ask that question. What if it's possible? Lord, and if we're asking that question this morning, if we're feeling you calling out to us, let us have the courage to ask. To simply ask somebody, what does this mean? I want to know more. Lord, we just pray you continue to draw us ever closer to you. We give you praise in all of it. We love you. We thank you. Just glorify yourself this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen.